Welcome, everybody, to the delayed 40th episode of Generation Jihad. Uh, it's delayed because we took last week off due to current events. Um, I think it's obvious uh, in light of what transpired in on Washington, D.C. on January 6th, why I, I know personally I didn't feel like commenting on the issues that we work on uh, during that. Um, I guess I'll have something more to say about that in a minute. But, Bill, you want to say hi to the audience? Of course, I'm Tom Johnson. I'm here with Bill Roggio. Uh, we're both senior fellows at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies. Bill? Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. Um, as you could tell, I sort of am still sort of trying to find my feet and get my feet uh, underneath me through after these recent events and trying to figure out how to comment on everything. We've got a lot going on, a lot we're working on. Um, but I, I guess the first thing I would say is, you know, obviously – we, I think, I think I can speak for both of us, Bill, when I say this, we, re- we reject all forms of extremism, uh, just so people understand that, uh, whether it be right-wing or left-wing extremism, jihadism, whatever, right? I mean, we're, we're against all forms of extremism. And, um, you know, just because we don't delve into all these different topics on a weekly basis or a daily basis, it doesn't mean we're not following them or tracking them or have thoughts on them, right? Yeah, that's right, Tom. Look, we denounced the the riots when they began um, after the killing of George Floyd, and we denounced what happened at the U.S. Capitol this year. Vile political violence is violence, and uh, it's not something we support. This is America. We have a political process, and um, yeah, yeah, we just it, it's abhorrent to us. It, it you know, and when things like this happen, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at a loss of words to to speak on the issues that that we deal with day in and. Yeah, and I would say too, you know, I mean, the only the only reason why I'm bringing this up at the top too, one to explain why we have this delayed episode, but two to also say to people, you know, I saw again uh, former New York City Mayor Giuliani's role in all this in his speech on January sixth before the riot at the Capitol. Um, you know, I feel like I, I, nobody really cares what I think about that, of course, or yeah, or, right. or, 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 or my previous history. I mean, I haven't spoken to Giuliani since I think January 2008, but I still kind of feel like I should say, you know, look, yeah, I, you know, I, I worked on his campaign for the 2008 presidential election, but I haven't obviously I haven't had anything to do with him in many years. And of course I wholeheartedly reject everything he's about these days. I don't want any part of it. Uh, you know, so, uh, but I don't think I need to do that because I don't think anybody actually associates me with him at this point. Uh, hopefully not anyway. Uh, and you know, my, my relationship with him was sort of tenuous at best back in the days anyway, if you actually know how that, that ill-fated campaign works, right, Bill? That was sort of a, a kind of a joke internally, but <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was from, from, our advising to his poor campaigning, it was a joke all around. <laughs> right, I agree. So, Larry, let's get down to business. So that was a sort of a, uh, maybe, I guess, an awkward <laughs> preface on my behalf, but whatever. I mean, it's what's going on with, with current events uh, here inside the United States. As we say all the time, or I say all the time, you know, we're well aware, folks, that there are a lot of issues that Americans have to worry about nowadays beyond what we talk about. And so even though we're focused on jihadism on this podcast and on the website, that doesn't mean we think that that's the defining issue of the day or that that's something that um, everybody needs to be focused on at every given moment. Of course not. You know, From the coronavirus pandemic to the political unrest to the raucous politics, problematic politics that we have in our country, the economic effects of the pandemic and the lockdowns, there's all sorts of stuff going on, uh, you know, rising extremism here inside the U.S. All those are, are, are topics that are germane for discussion. I'm trying to figure out how to weigh in on some of those going forward, but 
um, you know, basically our brand and what we we deal with at Long Word Journal to date anyway has been focused on sort of 9-11 and the aftermath and the conflicts unleashed afterwards. And that's sort of its own uh, subject of study in its own right. You know, I mean, we're dealing with the wars in Afghanistan and then Iraq and then elsewhere. Um, and so that's sort of where we're coming from when we talk about uh, all these issues. That's sort of why we're focused on, on these issues on this podcast. Again, that doesn't mean that the other issues aren't worthy of, of scholarly research and debate. Of course they are, um, but that's just where we're coming from right now anyway. Um, so let's talk about the events this week. The big event this week, Bill, was that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo gave this speech on the Iran-Al-Qaeda axis. This is something we've um, talked about and researched and written about for a number of years. I've done a lot of work on this issue. Um you know, it, it's sort of an odd timing, of course, given recent events to give this speech in the, in the middle of everything that's going on. Um, it's a topic that I find is mired in sort of misinformation and sort of mythology, even in the best of times, even in normal times, uh, that, you know, it's very hard to have sort of a, a, a fact-based conversation about it. Um, and one of the things, Bill, that I know you and I have talked about quite a bit um, before we delve into sort of the facts of the relationship and the facts of uh, that can be established in all this, one of the things we talked about quite a bit is that the first thing you hear a lot of times when you bring up this issue of the Al-Qaeda leaders in Iran or the Al-Qaeda relationship with Iran, first thing you hear some people say is that this is just all about trying to justify a war with Iran. Now, you and I know, I, I mean, I can't speak for everybody at all times, of course, but from our perspective, that's basically nonsense, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, how many times have we heard this bill now that this is all about justifying war with Iran? How many times have we heard that there's a war with Iran coming from the so-called, you know, hawks in Washington or whatever, right? I mean, we've heard this over and over again now. Since it, what, 2004, 2005, this case has been made. Um, yeah, I don't even think yeah, it's a case. It, it's just an allegation, right? Just sort it of is an allegation. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. And it's it's really tired, and you know, especially given the timing of this. Um, do we really think, um, as President Trump is being is impeached, and uh, you have the rioting going on, that what we're now seven days from transition, that a, a war with Iran is suddenly going to happen? This is this is absurd. Um, the timeline's all wrong. If if this was a case to drum up war for Iran, this case would have been made a year ago, two years ago, something like that. Um, you know, look, we can question the timing of his uh, of of releasing this, and you had the the designation against the Houthis and other designations that are um, going on out there. Um, the head of Iraq's uh, popular mobilization forces was designated for um, for human rights violations. So the the administration is certainly come rolling out designate last um, minute designations um, of no, no. various. Iranian-backed parties, terrorists, that sort of thing. It, right? right, right. Yeah. We can go yeah. on and on. And, um, you know, they're certainly rolling them out. And we could we could ask questions of why. But these are certainly – the answer to that is not for war with Iran. That's certainly not the case. Yeah, I mean, making this case in January with days left in the, the Trump administration, I think that speaks to the fact – I mean, because the reason why I, have, I started off with this is because I was asked by some reporters about it. And I said, look, first of all – I'll give you my opinion on that, and then I'll tell you why I don't think that this is about trying to gin up a war with Iran. Um, you know, and it's exactly what we just discussed, that you know, basically this is a case being made in the closing days of the Trump administration, literally the closing days of the Trump administration during political turmoil in which, as you said, President Trump's being impeached. 
It just doesn't make any sense. We've been hearing this for years, and it's never come true. It's sort of a tired talking point at this point, but it's still something we hear all the time. You know, the, a couple other points about this, however, um, that I think people missed. I mean, one, I mean, I mean, do we really think that President Trump, um, you know, wanted to start a new major conflict in the Middle East on his way out the door? You know, I mean, nothing. while he wants to end the so-called endless wars, I right. mean, it doesn't make know, any this, sense. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, this is nonsensical. Yeah, um, and the, the last bit of his administration here, the closing months of his administration have been dedicated to drawing down American forces, not starting wars. So I don't think that makes sense politically either. Um, you know, it's interesting. There's another There's another point about this is if you actually read Pompeo's speech, which we're going to sort of get into and critique a little bit, um, you know, Pompeo himself uh, seemingly threw cold water on the idea of going to war with Iran. In a, in a passage I think a lot of people missed, I mean, he says, he, he does this comparison between Iran and Afghanistan. We, we think the comparison doesn't work and it's flawed for many reasons, which we're going to get into. But he does this flawed, he does this comparison between Iran and Afghanistan, basically saying, well, you know, after 9-11, you know, we could go into Afghanistan to get Al-Qaeda. But, you know, they were hiding in the mountains and in these remote areas, which isn't entirely true. They retreated to the mountains of Afghanistan. Al-Qaeda actually was in the cities such as they were in Afghanistan at the time, too, including Kabul. Kandahar and elsewhere. It wasn't like they were just in these remote areas. So it's, it's sort of his whole understanding of that was, I think, wrong. Um, but in any event, I mean, he said he says that, um, you know, speaking of Iran now, he says, in, con- in contrast to the war in Afghanistan, we don't, this is a quote now, we don't have the same options today because these Al-Qaeda thugs are burrowed deep inside of Iran. And if we did have that option, meaning the military option, that's my note there, this is back to Pompeo now, we choose to do that, there's a much greater risk in executing it. So I think that's actually an interesting thing here is that actually his wording didn't suggest that he was pining for a war with Iran over this issue. Um, he was basically saying it's actually more difficult, in his opinion, to go after al-Qaeda in Iran than it would be to go after al-Qaeda in Afghanistan post 9-11. So I think that that, you know, again, that's the type of passage, you know, we're not going to defend everything in his speech as you're going to hear. Uh, in fact, we're going to critique parts of it. Uh, but, you know, I don't, that doesn't speak to me of warmongering, right, Bill? No, absolutely not. Tom, you made an excellent point. Um, given the drawdowns that are happening, uh, so I'm going to turn back to that real quick. If, you, you, if if this speech was intended to spark a war with Iran, what we would have seen over the last years was buildups in Afghanistan, in places like Iraq and in and, um, and other theaters. Uh, in on the, the flanks East. of Iran, right? You'd be, yeah, yeah, on yeah, the right. flanks of Iran to support yeah. military operations against Iran. That's what you would expect to see. What we have seen is the exact opposite. And, you know, your point about, you know, the options, right? These options don't exist uh, today as they did years ago because the U.S. doesn't have the same capabilities in the region. And it doesn't, let's face it, the, the political will doesn't exist for that. If the, if the Trump administration or a Biden administration decided that it was going to turn around tomorrow and go to war with Iran, there would be a hue and a cry from probably all <clears throat> Oh, you know, wh- tell me, where is the political base of support for a war against Iran? I'm talking a meaningful political base of, of the support right, for there, there a, is Iran, yeah. war against Iran. It doesn't exist. And so this is just th- this nonsense. It's sad because it's just justifying the Iranian regime's uh, support of Al Qaeda, and which we'll get into, um, as you, you noted. Um, but what you have is you have American analysts that are flacking for Iran by denying these ties, which have been 
demonstrated by three successive administrations. One administration, the Obama administration, which signed in a, a, a nuclear deal with Iran while um, pointing out the, uh, the the Iran's deep ties to Al Qaeda. So, yeah, yeah we're gonna so, we're gonna get to, we're gonna explain what well, that actually right. means in a second. We get, let's let's just just to put a sort of bow on this whole discussion about going to war with Iran, right? Um, you know, for the record, you know, one of the things you hear alleged, Bill, is that and I think you're of the same opinion that I have on this, that one of the things you hear alleged is that, well, you know, what so-called hawks are trying to do in Washington is basically backdoor a war with Iran under the 2001 authorization for the use of military force. Yeah. Um, now, let me be very clear about this. A couple things. One, I think the 2001 AUMF has been stretched beyond its limits already, right? I don't think— I know, concur. Yeah, I, I mean, concur. you know, I, for, in terms of actually the critics of all this, and we have our own criticisms, of course, but the people who—that's all they do is criticize this stuff. I think this is a legitimate criticism. I think it's a legitimate criticism to say that, you know, basically the war fighting post-9-11 has been on sort of autopilot, and the military has gone places that people didn't really expect them to when this— authorization of use of military force was voted on in 2001. I don't think the people, when they voted on that, when the legislators voted on that, uh, House voted on that in 2001, they could have expected that we were going to be in Afghanistan in 2020 or 2021 now. They didn't expect to be in Somalia. They didn't expect to be in all these other places. You know, And, and then actually, I, I don't want to say you know all these other places because we don't, as you and I have documented, the U.S. doesn't have a huge military presence in all these places at all, right? Just sort of, you know, a lot of these places, the drawdowns have already... Some places have always had a small footprint. Other places, the drawdown from a large footprint has already occurred. But um, but the point is that this is a legitimate thing. And now, so the idea that you're going to backdoor a war with Iran through the 2001 AUMF has always been, to me, I mean, anytime anybody's asked me my opinion about that, I have to say two things. One, I don't know if people are actually trying to do that. I haven't seen firm evidence of that. The pe some people have suggested it or reported it. Some people I trust have said that that's been floated at times. Okay, maybe. Um, all I'll say is that no, I, I reject that. That basically, if if the U.S. wants to go, if somebody wants to go to war with Iran, they have to get a new AUMF, so to speak, um, from Congress. And I, 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 you agree with that, Bill, right? I mean, that's, I absolutely yeah. agree. I mean, and, and it, I know we detailed this in previous episodes of, you know, we believe that the the AUMF has you know sort of taken away the debate, right? Uh, for exactly. Engaging in well places said. of of yeah. Somalia, it's 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 made. U.S. engagement easier, and this is um, we, you and I are strong believers that I know I speak for you in this that these are issues that should be debated, and this is you know if you're going to put U.S. Uh, forces in places like Somalia and in the Sahel or wherever you know Syria, you know we should have these discussions. Instead, things just happen, and that and this is where put, you know, put, and discussions and political debate and voting right. And there debate, should be accountability right. from the people's elected representatives should be exercising their war powers, and this should be something. Now, I'm not a legal expert, but. I mean, that's my understanding how this is supposed to work, right? Sure. In the Constitution, exactly. You know, you know the Congress so, to me is yeah. is really obligated its responsibilities, and you know, and you know how much you, Tom and I hate the endless the endless wars crowd, but this does feed into that narrative. Right? Yeah, I don't. The, the I mean, AUMF I don't think we hate the endless wars crowd so much as the the, the talking point is often used in a vacuous. Yeah, way, yes, right? we we hate the endless war narrative. Is right. What we, we yeah, decide. what I would say is to the extent that it's talking about this this aspect of it, yeah. I, we agree, right? To the extent yeah. that the endless wars crowd is saying, hey, you know, we have this open ended AUMF that's being used for yeah. all sorts of conflicts that nobody intended. Yep, we agree. Yep, totally. You know, Absolutely right. agree. So and, you know, we did, yeah. You know, as as critical as you and I have been, there is, you know, there's there are reasons why a narrative like this takes place, and right. and this uh, this sort of open ended AUMF yeah. is uh, is one of these reasons, and it's something that you know, 
we're 19 years into this. Is this ever going to be debated or handled properly? My confidence is low that that'll happen. Yeah, and look, I mean, the point is, is that, and a couple other things about that. One, we've said, I've said from the beginning, I think you said from the beginning, that just because we identify an Al-Qaeda group or ISIS group in some place around the globe doesn't mean that that means that we want to send the U.S. military in there to go get them. You know, no. Um, you know, there needs to be, there, this is what you, I think exactly, I think you put it exactly right, Bill. This took the debate away. It took the sort of, and it, it's what I mean by, I said, put it on autopilot instead of sort of saying, you know, where where should America expend resources and why, you know, and create the case. And if there's, if my view has always been, it, first, A, that political debate should happen, uh, should be reopened up. But B, if, um you know, if look, if, if Congress votes against it and says we're not, we don't want to authorize military force in different places, fine, right? I mean, you know, that, that, I mean, let it happen. You know, so be it. I wrote in a piece about Somalia recently that if you know they didn't authorize, you know, Shabab is part of Al Qaeda. Forget the disconnect the dots crowd; they're they're full of it. But um, you know, but if Congress doesn't want to authorize military force in Somalia, so be it. I think, but I think we should also understand what exactly is going on and debate what's actually happening, not sort of tired talking points, which is where you and I sort of have our objections with the endless wars crowd, you know, because a lot of the talking points are dealing with things in the past and, and, and sort of conflating all sorts of issues that aren't, aren't really germane to what's going on right now. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Tom, the debate helps in my opinion, promote understanding and, and builds consensus to, to, to remain engaged in these wars or to disengage in these wars. Um, but, you know, Congress has a, you know, its responsibility is to, to approve the waging of war and, I would like to see Congress uh, take the take this responsibility, but the, it's for decades and decades now. I mean, you couldn't even, you know, what was Vietnam was a police action. It wasn't even a declared war. So when you, you know, when you started going down that road, what, five decades ago, um, this is the natural result. And uh, it's it's sad. Yeah, it's well, it's a slippery slope. And I, I, I agree. And so the, the bottom line is we didn't want a slippery slope with when it came to Al Qaeda in Iran. Right. No. Right. Shouldn't be any slippery slope there. Let's not backdoor some conflict here. If people, people, we need to be clear eyed about what is actually going on. I mean, I'm, there may be other legal authorities that the president can invoke. Again, I'm not, I'm not a, a legal expert on this stuff. But again, our view in general is, you know, this stuff should be debated and should go through the halls of Congress uh, regularly. Um, so, you know, and, and be that as it may. Now, um, we can't fix all that, of course, but. So there's that whole politicized debate or policy debate about all this stuff, which you and I, I think we have a little more nuanced or complicated opinions on than, than I think some people want to give us credit for, to be honest with you. Uh, but um, but that doesn't change the facts, right? And so now what are the facts about what's going on in Iran right now when it comes to Al-Qaeda? And what does that mean about Iran's behavior and Al-Qaeda's behavior? And so I wrote up a version of what the State Department released this week at Long War Journal, and, and, and close observers will know I hewed very closely to what the State Department's Rewards for Justice program said, and sort of the official, these are the official pronouncements about what's known from intelligence about Al-Qaeda's presence in Iran. That's where I sort of hew my line to, uh, very for deliberate reasons, um, because there's sort of, you know, what we know and then how you characterize it. And those two things can be conflated sometimes, too. And so let's get into this a little bit. So the first thing that we wrote, that I wrote at Long War Journal was that we now know a couple things. One, Pompeo confirmed that um, Abu Muhammad al-Masri, who was the deputy emir of al-Qaeda, was killed 
inside Iran on August 7th, 2020. I think in my notes here, I just confer- I wrote 1998 to you, Bill. Sorry about that. Yeah, and I noticed that, Tom. And, <laughs> you know, like, and I know you did it right of course, is because he was killed on the anniversary of the August 7th, 1998 embassy bombings, which I've written about so many times now that I just sort of reflexively write 1998. Uh, but he was killed. As, at- as any editor of the Long War Journal knows, I blow dates like anything, man. It's the worst. Yeah. So, All right. Yeah, so I'm anyway, for- I'm I very forgiving. Notice that flub of my notes to you there. Anyway, uh, so... Uh, he confirmed that, which we knew about. It was reported in the Times. It was reported, uh, we talked about it in a previous episode. It was report, first reported on Al-Qaeda social media channel, and then Memory translated and did a little bit of analysis on that. We did our own take on it. New York Times, of course, first confirmed it. So, okay, so that's very interesting. So he confirms this officially. Um, this was done by the Israelis at the behest of the U.S. government. Uh, it's an interesting sort of operation on this. If anything, in terms of an act of violence or act of war being committed here, this was a sort of a targeted assassination using a capability that America apparently doesn't have. So, you know, this wasn't some big regime change conflict. It was a targeted killing of Masri is what basically happened here. And, you know, my guess is that, and it is a guess, my guess is that other senior al-Qaeda figures in Iran have probably been targeted as well. Uh, You know, I think that's probably, that's pretty obvious. Al-Qaeda channels have, have even warned about that. So we now know, we, we had confirmation before that, of course, that Abu Muhammad al-Masri, who was this, we detailed them previously, he's deputy mirror of al-Qaeda, his pedigree goes all the way back to the 1990s, he was wanted for the August 7, 1998 embassy bombings. He and his comrades, Saif al-Adl, had been in Iran, freely operating for several years now. Before that, they were under former house, house arrest or some sort of detention. We're going to get into that. Um, so we know that two of the top three or four al-Qaeda leaders on the planet Masri and Saif al-Adl are in Iran. Okay, so that's interesting. Now, um, there are a couple other details that came out, one of which is that the State Department Rewards for Justice Program announced that Abdul Rahman al-Maghrebi, a senior al-Qaeda figure we've been tracking for years, Bill, you and I have known about him for years, that he relocated, relocated to Iran at some point. He's Zawahiri's son-in-law. He's a longtime head of Asahab. You can see in my write-up of Long War Journal, I quote from a Bin Laden file. This is a file we're covered in Bin Laden's compound, discussing you know um, one of his predecessors in the Al-Qaeda management, Atiyah Abdel-Rahman, who was killed in 2011. Tell, you know, basically gives sings, sings his praises in a memo to Bin Laden. Sings Abdel-Rahman al-Maghrebi's praises in this memo to Bin Laden, praising his intellect and his, his faith and everything else. And recommends him for sort of a deputy general manager position. Um, I think the files sort of indicate he didn't take it at the time, but eventually he does become, basically according to the State Department and others, the general manager of Al-Qaeda, which is sort of this traffic cop who's overseeing sort of things within Al-Qaeda, how they operate the global network. Sometimes with problems, of course, sometimes, you know, more efficiently. So it's it's significant that the State Department is identifying McGrebby, who is another senior a member of the senior management team of al-qaeda that he's in iran and operating i mean i think that's significant right bill absolutely i mean you could argue tom he's one of al-qaeda's top leaders i mean without a doubt we have uh, a Saif al-adel we have rahman we you know we, before his death uh, abu muhammad al-masri you know you're talking about probably three of the four top leaders for al-qaeda inside of iran at some point so and you know as you noted it's Pompeo's statement, you know, about Al-Qaeda, and I know we're going to get into this, it's partially true. I mean, Iran is a base. That's how I wouldn't have made the case the way he did, making it it is the base. I would have said, yeah, he, it said it was, he says it's the home base for Al-Qaeda, which is, right. yeah, I mean, partly true, but yeah. 
So but they, we know that Al Qaeda is distributed, and and yeah, his leadership is right. distributed. Yeah, and that's and what so. I told Voice of America when they interviewed me on this. I said, yeah. "Look, right. I mean, we could identify these senior Al Qaeda managers in Iran." So from that perspective, yeah, that's true. But um, not all senior Al Qaeda managements there. Where's Ayman Al Zawahiri? You know, I mean, they, they in the presentation they say that um, Zawahiri's deputies in Iran. Okay, but Zawahiri presumably himself is not. I mean, some have spread the rumor that he is. I mean, look, I mean, who knows where he is? I don't know for sure. But CENTCOM Commander General McKenzie said he was in, that Zawahiri was in eastern Afghanistan. You and I suspect that he's been in Pakistan and, Afga- and probably Afghanistan, maybe straddling the border. My guess is, folks, wherever the Haqqani strongholds are, that's where you're going to find Zawahiri. Uh, you know, he's probably was protecting him. Uh, you know, yeah. but all indications, Tom, are Hamza bin Laden was killed in Karam, which is a Haqqani network stronghold. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with you as well. If he's somewhere, he's likely with the Haqqanis. So the so. point the point is right there. We've given you a big example of how Iran is not just is not the only home base, so-called home base for Al Qaeda. And, you know, there are a couple other points about this. One is we talked about on the podcast and as you just said, Bill, Al-Qaeda's leadership is probably distributed across the so-called affiliates. So you have senior managers elsewhere. You have senior managers. Remember, you know, the French said that Abdul-Malik Jukdel, who was the head of Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, at the time of his death, he was the second or third deputy to, you know, Zawahiri at the time of his death. That puts him in the pecking order. That puts him in the line of succession, if the French are right about that. Uh, and, of course, he's killed in Mali, right? Uh, Khalid Batarfi is the head of AQAP. We suspect he's part of AQ management. We know that prior to Batarfi, um, guys like Nazar al Waheshi and others within the, the AQAP hierarchy, they were part of Al-Qaeda management, you know, and they were in Yemen. Uh, we know that. We know Waheshi was a, described as general manager and deputy mayor to Zawahiri at one point. We know there are figures in Syria, right, Bill, who are probably yeah, probably part of the Al-Qaeda management team, um, as, as problematic as the events in Syria have been for Al-Qaeda. Um, you know, we know that they're so... It's just not, I would also argue Dom probably Shabab's a mirror and some other key. Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, I think there's probably guys in Shabab. They're the, probably I mean, part of what we've we and I have said over and over again, and I've said this by the way in the context of this conversation, one of the things the US government needs to do is give a real assessment of how Al Qaeda works today. Where's all the management? How's the management structured? Who's who? What are the committees? Where are they? All that stuff, right? Outline. And the US government hasn't done that. For a long time. And so when you get this speech from Pompeo and the subsequent statements from the State Department, what you're seeing is only part of the story, right? You're not seeing the whole story about how this thing works. Um, you know, and, and there's some other issues there too. But, you know, one of the other things, um, you know, the other thing is, you know, the U.S. is most like, or I want to say probably withdrawing from Afghanistan in the near future. I mean, it's down to about 2,500 as of this month sometime. Um Bill, where do you think Al Qaeda leaders are going to go when the U.S. is finally right. and NATO forces are finally out? You know, I mean, do you think yeah. they're going to, you know? Look, Tom, and and you know, look, you have that contiguous region where Al Qaeda can operate, right? We know they're operating at least from Syria, passing through Iraq, operating in Iran. Afghanistan is going to be a key area as the U.S. leaves. You know, you and I have discussed in previous episodes that any residual counterterrorism force in Afghanistan is going to be hard-pressed, um, you know, we're having difficulty targeting Al-Qaeda leaders in the current, um, you know, when we had 10,000, when we had 8,000, when we had 4,000, it's just going to get more and more difficult as U.S. visibility decreases. Afghanistan is going to, it already is a key hub. I mean, we've killed several key Al-Qaeda leaders in Afghanistan over the last year, and do we think that because the U.S. 
um, presence decreases and be, you know goes close to zero, that that's not going to um, become more attractive for Al Qaeda to put its leaders there. Because look, at the end of the day, you know this relationship with Iran is complex, and if Al Qaeda can shift some of its key leaders into Afghanistan, where it has more control over its leadership and is less dependent on the IRGC for its protection, and you know an organization that could, for whatever reasons, turn on it at the drop of a dime then, you know, it's going to put leaders in Afghanistan and it's going to put leaders in, in, inside of Pakistan as well. Yeah, I mean, it still has leadership. We, we it does, guys yes. In Pakistan as well and in Afghanistan. So, I mean, we, we had, you know, Hassan Abdul Roof was killed recently in, in Afghanistan. He's a, you know, Al-Qaeda leader. He was in the senior management team for sure, you know. So, I mean, there's, there, it's, not, it's not the case that, you know, all senior management is in Iran. And the thing is that the case that Pompeo is making is that counterterrorism pressure in Pakistan and Afghanistan basically sent senior al-Qaeda managers to Iran. I think that's true, but but there's a tension right in his argument because as you're relieving the counterterrorism pressure in the region of Afghanistan and Pakistan, well, guess what? Then those guys could just easily return to their home, their, their real home base, which is in the Sunni areas, the, the Taliban-controlled areas, the areas where they have a real sort of a, a cultural ties, you know, ties by marriage, ties to tribal connections. That's what they're going to do, right? I yeah, mean, it's it's the same problem, Tom, that the, the the same poor argument that the Obama administration made, you know, first it's wrong on the facts, um, you know, Al-Qaeda's defeated, therefore we can leave. Well, these things aren't static. You know, I remember, Tom, when you and I had a debate with uh, Peter Bergen at the New American Foundation, this was years and years ago, right before the, the rise of the Islamic State. And 2012, he he, right. Yeah, yeah, right. And he turns to me and he says, Bill, you were in Iraq. You saw us defeat al-Qaeda. And I said, Peter, that was 2008. I was like, this is 2012. Things are very different today than they were, you know, four years ago. Yes, al-Qaeda in Iraq suffered a major defeat during the surge. It, it's, it's changed, you know, it, it, it's adjusted. And then what happens? Within one year, Al-Qaeda in Iraq is taking over Fallujah and then most of Anbar province. And then you have this, this schism between Al-Qaeda and the, the formation of the Islamic State. And the next thing, you know, the Islamic State controls an area in, in Syria and Iraq the size of Britain. So, you, t you know, if you think that everything's just fine and dandy with Al-Qaeda, which you and I have documented, we know it's not. But even if you think that... Um, and then you turn around and you leave, you know, it's it's not going to be the situation. I'm not saying that to make the argument for U.S. forces to stay there. As I've said numerous times, the U.S. public wants out of Afghanistan. The U.S. government wants out of Afghanistan. Uh, the U.S. military wants out of Everybody wants out of Afghanistan. I'm, you know, all right, let's just accept the decision of leaving. And that's going to mean not just the return of al-Qaeda, but al-Qaeda beefing up its its presence. Yeah, because they're already there now. I mean, they're, they're it, there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. they're just going to they're just going to make it more explicit. And, you know, so I, th I think that's the point. I mean, look, look, we're just going to try and give you straight our, our version as best we see it of what's happening and what will happen. Um, it doesn't mean that we're you and I are very uncomfortable in any kind of advocacy role at this point, given uh, everything of course. That's going on. Yeah. yeah. So we're not advocating anything. And, and I and I wouldn't. Um, you know, I think I've we do advocate one thing, Tom. We advocate being clear-eyed about the facts. Yeah, I mean, like, let, look, I and I've then make decisions and let the cards fall as they may. True, that's, true. That's that's yeah. what I I would advocate. say. This I've written recently. I've written some things where I I said, you know, I would you know recommend U.S. military keeping a small footprint in different places. But if if careful readers will know when I wrote that, that I was very circumspect about that. I didn't actually say where or how many. 
And so the criticism that you could make of me is, that, well, you're not giving any specifics. Yeah, because I'm totally ambivalent about all this and I don't know anymore if anything's politically viable and I don't know what, you know, I don't want to be in the case of, of, of advocating for something that may not be doable, you know? So I've, you know, all, but all I could say is that the U.S. withdrawing from these places is not going to leave behind a peachy story. You know, this is not going to be a peachy scene. And there are threats to the United States' interests and Americans and others around the globe from these jihadist groups. And I think I would give the Weddingless Wars crowd a little more credence if they said they just be honest and say they just don't care about that, right? That they basically don't they don't care if, you know, provincial capitals in Afghanistan fall after the US leaves and the women and, and men who have been opposed to the Taliban are terrorized. They don't care about that. You know, I got to be honest, I'm very critical of the Afghan war, right? But I, I kind of do care about that, right? Um and maybe maybe that's you know maybe that's a fault. I don't know. But I do. I do care about that. And I do care that Al Qaeda and the Taliban are gonna make gains and everything else. But that's now I'm pontificating. So let's get away from that. Let's get back to Pompeo's speech. So Pompeo also, so this gets to a point though, it's not totally a non sequitur. Um, Pompeo uh, says, uh, you know, basically there's a tension between how he talks about Al-Qaeda in Iran and Al-Qaeda with the Taliban, right? So he, he says in this speech about uh, Al-Qaeda in Iran, as a result, bin Laden's wicked creation is poised to gain strength and capabilities. So this is a quote that he's, he's given here. And he talks about the threat to the world from Al-Qaeda in Iran. But at other times, as you and I know, Pompeo has adopted the Obama talking point that Al Qaeda is a shadow of its former self. He used he's used that repeatedly when defe- defending his deal with the Taliban, right? So on the one hand, when he has this sort of servile diplomacy with the Taliban, he's advocating for withdrawal from Afghanistan. Al Qaeda is a shadow of its former self. But then when it comes to Al Qaeda in Iran, Al Qaeda is poised to gain strength and capabilities. Uh, well, you know, I mean, I guess somebody could say, well, he says poised to gain strength, so therefore it's not, you know. But still, there's a, there's an obvious tension there, right? I mean, you can't on the one hand say it's a shadow of its former self, don't worry about it, and on the other hand say, uh-oh, you know, <laughs> they're getting stronger, right? I mean, what which one is it, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, this is straight out of the Department of Bad Messaging. Um, yeah. Look, and, and if you listen to what he's saying, he's saying that this capability – has been growing since 2015. The same, you know, okay, obviously he's not in office until CI director in 2017. You're getting ahead of us on the timeline again, Bill. We got the notes. Yeah, getting, sorry about we're gonna that. Get to this, we're going to get that. the sea change comment. We'll get to that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We'll right. get to that. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll get back on message time. Sorry. Right. Sorry. You know, yeah. well, I mean, I, you know, I take the 15 minutes to do the timeline. So, <laughs> <laughs> so. listen, Tom, I appreciate that, that devotion. Yeah, well, I mean, it's more than what podcast. I did. Yeah. Podcast. <laughs> All right. So, look, I mean, uh, all right, so there's an obvious tension there. You and I agree with it. This is where I teed you up. This is where in the I thought, you know, look, we're going to we can go off on this for a second. So it, it, part of his speech on Iran al-Qaeda, so he's advocating, so part of what Pompeo says, he, he says, you know, we don't need a large military presence in Afghanistan anymore. I'm not advocating for a large military presence in Afghanistan, for, for the love of God, no. Uh, but, you know, he, he, this is what he says. He says, there are fewer al-Qaeda operatives in Afghanistan today than there have been in decades. That remains true. Well... Uh, does it? <laughs> I mean, you know, listen, we've we've gone on. Tom, don't make me go on. I know we're not doing the fifteen hundred thing. We're not doing all that. I gave you. I no, gave I you. have to though because that's wrong. Uh, it is wrong because I, the estimate today is around two hundred, and between two thousand and ten into two thousand and sixteen, it was fifty to one hundred. Yeah. So it's it's just factually. If but you we take also those we also know that they don't actually know, face, right? They don't actually well, know right. how many people. Have but if you right, take yeah. their estimates on their face on its face, right, right. It's wrong just in that. So yeah. 
you know, yeah, anyway. Right. Yeah, right. The US so that's it. I'm, I, folks, I promise, no more 50 to 100 from me. Yeah, yeah I know we, we go, go on and on about it. But I gave you that link there. So let's go to the Treasury Department document yeah. that I, I saw online. Uh, this, is a, this is a report from the Treasury Department to the Defense the, the Department of Defense Office of the Inspector General. Uh, I guess they asked these questions to the Treasury Department as part of their sort of looking into the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq and Syria, and these different issues. And um, I think... You scroll down to what page is it here? I guess page. I four. believe that's page four. four page four, yeah, right. So this this stuck this stood out to me. So remember now you have um, Pompeo giving this speech on January twelfth. This is a uh, Treasury Department document. I'm going to write it up separately at Long War Journal. I hope if I get the time, um, it's from January fourth, and, th- and they're asked, you know, basically what's going on with you know describe Al Qaeda funding in Afghanistan. So this is the Dep- Department of Defense Inspector General's office asked the Treasury Department describe Al Qaeda's funding in Afghanistan. Bill, you want to take it? To, you, you know what? What exactly it says there? Yeah. So Treasury saying as of 2020, Al Qaeda is gaining strength. I'm quoting directly here: is gaining strength in Afghanistan while continue to operate with the Taliban under the Taliban's protection. Al Qaeda still broadly depends on donations from like-minded supporters. Yada yada. And it's and it's talking about Al Qaeda gaining strength capitalizing on its relationship with the Taliban, that's a direct uh, quote, through its networks of mentors and advisors who embedded with the Taliban, providing advice, guidance, and financial support. And then it talks, and then it talks about the Haqqani network and al-Qaeda forming an armed, uh, quote, new joint unit of armed fighters in cooperation with and funded by al-Qaeda. And so, of course, the Haqqani network is part of the Taliban, senior leadership within the Taliban. And that language about the Haqqani Al Qaeda joint effort mirrors what we reported on was in a, in a UN report, um, you know, some months ago. So this is the opposite, right? Of you know, first of all, that language sounds an awful lot like a home base to me, right? For Al Qaeda, sure does. In Taliban territory, cer- certainly sounds like that to me. Certain sounds you could say that's a home base for Al Qaeda. Um, in, in Taliban-controlled territory. And then you, you look through, there There are other parts in this file, which, again, this is an official estimate or official sort of statement or proclamation or analysis, I guess I say, analysis um, by, you know, by the Treasury Department, you know, talking about al-Qaeda in Afghanistan all these many years later, you know, something that the U.S. government really didn't take apart the way they should have while we were there. Um, that none of that's consistent with this idea that we need to worry about Al Qaeda in Iran, but don't worry about Al Qaeda in Afghanistan, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things that stood out to me was the last answer, and I'm going to read it verbatim. It says Treasury told us as of May 2020, that's several months after the, the February 29th deal between the U.S. and the Taliban. Um, uh, I'll go back to reading it. The Taliban and Al Qaeda maintain a strong relationship and continue to meet regularly. So, look, folks, read between the lines here. Al-Qaeda isn't going to put all of its eggs in the Iran basket. It's going to diversify its leadership because it maintains a strong relationship with the Taliban. Its greatest, you know, obviously, I'm not gonna, it's not a one-way deal, but, you know, the both are, it's a symbiotic relationship. Al-Qaeda supports the Taliban, the Taliban supports Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is going to continue to maintain a strong relationship with the Taliban and continue to maintain a strong presence in Afghanistan for as long as that Taliban-Al-Qaeda relationship is intact. And it's and let's face it, folks, we know this. Tom and I have reported this over years. Unless there's some type of major, massive event that happens, that relationship is continuing because the U.S. is leaving. Yeah, and I, I mean, again, I don't— I, I, 
say this over and over again. I'm not going to stay say we need to stay to get it right because I, right. Don't, think, I don't think the U.S. is going to get it right. So forget it. Uh, but this is this is the truth of the matter of what's going on. Uh, yeah, recognize the realities on the ground. Yeah. Make policy based accordingly. Yeah. yeah. Now I will say this about the speech. I think Pompeo did offer a decent history of the relationship between Iran and Al Qaeda, citing the 9/11 Commission report in particular. We always talk about the 9/11 Commission report because this was a bipartisan report investigating the 9/11 attacks, and there are you know numerous passages in that report that fly in the face of the so-called conventional wisdom when it comes to Iran and Al Qaeda cooperating. I think that you know the, the funny thing about the press is we're going to talk a little bit about the press here at the end of this, but the press. Oh, we are. When, when oh, the 9/11 Commission are. report came out. You can find articles in the New York Times, Washington Post, all these different press outlets saying, oh, you know, 9-11 Commission finds link between Iran and Al-Qaeda. And then it's all it's used to basically go after the Bush administration for talking about Iraq and not talking about Iran. And that's what all that sort of poured out in 2004. Now you have people, you know, basically since then, the press has basically just ignored the 9-11 Commission report. <laughs> and anytime this issue of Iran Al-Qaeda comes up, it's just like, hmm, uh, you know, don't know what you're talking about. You know, nope, there's nothing there. Nothing to see there. Now, what do you see there? Well, you see, you know, the details that are offered by Pompeo in his speech are accurate. I mean, the 9-11 Commission report found, for example, that uh, Iran and Hezbollah gave Al-Qaeda operatives, including Abu Muhammad al-Masri and Saif al-Adil. Uh, those two senior al-Qaeda leaders we're talking about, they were part of these cadres of al-Qaeda guys who learned and were given the tactical expertise by Hezbollah and Iran to carry out the August 7th, 1998 U.S. embassy bombings in Kenya and Tanzania. Whoops. You know, uh, that's kind of a big deal, you know, uh, a big point in all this. Um, but, you know, it's it's just funny how much that's ignored by people and how by, you know, especially by the people who just want to portray this as sort of warmongering. They don't bother to... When official bipartisan estimates fly in the face of their mindless sort of talking points, they they can't they can't see it. They only they only cherry pick sort of the parts that sort of fit conform with their ide- ideological view. Which, by the way, is is one of my big points in all this bill. Before we move on, is that one of the things I find fascinating about this issue is I think it just exposes the cognitive biases uh, in humanity even more so. I mean, obviously, humans you know the way we perceive things is highly highly flawed and highly suspect, um, but. You know, this is this is one of those stories where the narrative continues in a lot of places despite the facts, right? And the facts the facts can pile up and pile up and pile up across administrations, across Democrat administrations, Republican administrations, and bipartisan reports from Al Qaeda itself, from different facts, obvious things. You know, you have a reporting on a top level Al Qaeda leader being assassinated in Tehran where he was living, you know, freely, and it just the narrative just still can't move in some places, right? Yeah, I'm not going to get ahead of myself, uh, Tom, but yes, yes, yes. This story particularly um, really highlights the, as you said, the cognitive biases in in so-called analysts and reporters. You know, we can go back and, you know, I'm not going to get ahead of myself here. We're going to mention the New York Times and Reuters. We could go back and point to specific stories in those news organizations that reported on some of these things, and then they completely admit or they completely downplay their own reporting. The you know an an administration that signed a nuclear deal with Iran while while designating and again I'm jumping ahead of myself, so I won't go that, and I'll just leave it at that, Tom. I couldn't agree with you more. It's the most frustrating. So the listeners know, we were aware that this this was coming, this speech was coming. We weren't exactly thrilled about it. <laughs> we weren't thrilled. This is not the podcast we wanted to lead our year with because we knew that this was all coming. We could have predicted 
the reaction from analysts. We did predict, actually. We accurately. Oh, we could have written. We could have written a lot of the press coverage. You know, I mean, we're yeah, gonna get to that. We're gonna get to that. I got a whole. Yeah. I got a whole little. Let's, stick yeah, let's for that. go on. Let's go stick. on. But yeah. I got a whole stick for that. So anyway, so um, as part of Pompeo's speech, he cited this memo authored by Bin Laden in 2007, and he quotes from Bin Laden accurately, saying, "Iran is our main artery for funds, personnel, and communication. There's no need to fight with Iran unless you are forced to." This was a letter actually from Bin Laden to. I think it was Abu Hamza al-Muhajir, who was the head of the Islamic State of Iraq at the time. We've covered this letter. It was released by the Office of the Director of the National Intelligence um, as part of the release of the Bin Laden files. Now, look, um, you know, the, the, the file, we've we've linked to it a number of times. You know, basically, Bin Laden's reasoning is a little complex. Uh, you know, he doesn't rule out attacking Iran, in, in, you know, entirely. He just basically sees it as a, pr- a way to pressure them to do what they want them to do. Um, and, you know, it's, it's sort of a, an interesting file to read. Now, others have tried to spin those sentences from the file to imply that somehow the Iranians sort of weren't aware of what al-Qaeda was doing on their soil, that this was sort of just a covert al-Qaeda network that the file was talking about. But this is rubbish, right? Total rubbish. And how do we know that that's a rubbish explanation? First of all, there's nothing in the file that says that, first of all. Second of all, and this is to what we keep talking about these designations— you know, Pompeo could have strengthened his speech if he'd just given a little bit of a hat tip to the Obama administration and said, hey, folks, the point that you've been making over and over again, Bill, that from July 2011 and July 2016, the Obama administration, Treasury and State Departments repeatedly designated al-Qaeda operatives in Iran. And in doing so, they spelled out the terms of the formerly, quote unquote, secret deal and the, quote unquote, agreement between the Iranian regime and al-Qaeda. Right. And in fact, it was under the Obama administration that the Treasury and State Department started calling Al Qaeda's uh, network, facilitation network in Iran, its quote unquote core pipeline. This, that's from the Obama administration, folks. Core pipeline. Right. By the way, what is core pipeline? Those words, what is that sort of an echo of main artery, right? Yeah, from the, the Bin Laden file, you know? And so the, and, and the bottom line was that this, those designations make clear these are official intelligence, you know, U.S. intelligence assessments, which are ignored by some, again, because they're inconvenient. Um, this is not a clandestine network inside Iran. This is something that that exists as part of uh, an agreement between the Iranian regime and al-Qaeda. And you can see, I think it was October 2012, the designation that um, talked about sort of the reshuffling that occurs within al-Qaeda's network in Iran. That There's a designation in October 2012 that spells out the terms of it. This explains how it works. Well, you know, this is this is saying, you know, here's how the agreement works. Um, you know, I think the speech would have been strengthened if it, if, if, you know, that was all included and cited and, ex- and that was explained that this is a bipartisan, again, there's a bipartisan body of intelligence here to draw from, you know? Yeah. Tom, t- I'm so frustrated because when you, um, listen to Pompeo's speech, you know, he talks about the facilitation from, uh, the IRGC, right? He said the providing passports and whatever. And when I first looked at that, because it's been a while since I looked at the information, I said, I remember talking to you saying, wait, is this new? This isn't new, right? Not new, and then right. you go back to that 2012 designation. That's the February which, 2012 one, right? Yeah. So right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This is, this is from which the, is the, the mi- designation Ministry of Intelligence and Security. Intelligence and Security. Yeah. Right. Right. Like, right. So Pompeo, it's just such a fumble. He he should mention that 2012 to you know if he mentions that designation, if he mentions the 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 October 2012 designation, as you noted, the 2011 the the secret deal, the agreement designation, it just builds this case, and instead he omits all of that, and every and the press conveniently forgets all of that because. You know, if he if he mentions that and they ignore it, you know, he can always go back. But like it, this is the frustration that you and I have. We we know that this is going to happen. And yet, 
you know, we're, we're powerless to prevent it. But if there's a case there to be made that, again, spans three separate administrations. It's based on the case. facts of what's based going on, on not facts. the spin that people have, you know, based on the facts. Here's what's actually going on, you know. And by the way, the funniest thing was, you noticed right away, I mean, I'm, I'm getting ahead of ourselves right now, but I don't care. So It's okay. So I can make an excuse for myself doing that, but I know you're, not you, Bill. Uh, but not anyways, me. No, that's uh, unforgivable. So so anyway, so the, the, that Reuters piece that we talked about, we were texted back and forth about it, right? Remember that was that Reuters piece? Yo, oh yeah, I got a, I got something written up for that. All right, well yeah, then I'll hold it. I'll hold it then. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, go for it. Come on, was, it's the time. Let's go. That was, go. Cool. That was go. a good one. Well, there was. I mean, you know, first of all, in the press coverage of all this, um, you know, there's no mention of these designations to the Obama administration of all, of course, and that's part of why it's a fumble by Pompeo not to bring this up because you know if you're building a case on this stuff, you want to say, look, this isn't. Don't make the partisan case. Don't make the, you know, make a fact case, right? And the fact case would be- Make the bipartisan case. Right, yeah, right, exactly. the Obama administration. Exactly. And um, there was that that quote in the Reuters basically just ignored all that. So the Times, everybody just ignores it because it's not, nobody wants to deal with facts that are inconvenient for the narrative. But, um, you know, basically saying that uh, earlier allegations by the Bush administration or something like that of a Iranian tie to 9-11 have been debunked or, you know, something disproved or something like that. I, first of all, I was thinking to myself when I read that, first of all, what in the hell are you talking about? When did the Bush administration accuse Iran of being complicit yeah. in 9-11? Second of all, that issue came up on pages 240 to 241 of the 9-11 commission. The 9-11 commission. Right? Which, and I, I, you know, people should go read it for themselves, right? I mean, just read I don't want to go over it again and again and again, but it just shows you the ignorance on this stuff and just how people – and people just start making stuff up, right? They're like, oh, well, you know – Bush administration, that was a warmongers too. They must have made up something about Iran Al Qaeda. So, so we'll just go ahead and debunk something that they made that we're making up in our minds. You know, I saw that. I I couldn't find the that Reuters report we were talking about when I was preparing our notes, but maybe they overwrote it online or something. I don't yeah. Know. Well, so no, Tom, and I actually did, and I have the link to that. Um, so they they updated it. The title says uh, Pompeo says Iran gives Al Qaeda new home base. Analysts skeptical. That's what the new title is. I and saw then that one. so the. The new report, so it's the, the old one, which they updated, in I believe it's in the second or third paragraph, really highlights the Iranian government denial on that. So it, it's basically, you know, while ignoring all of the Obama administration <laughs> while guys. lying about the, yeah. the Bush administration thing, I, I sat there and read, reread this because it was worse, Tom, than when I sent it to you the couple of days ago. And I said... What did did like uh, Iranian press news agency write this, or was this put out by the IRGC? I mean, it may as well been Iranian propaganda. Sure, That's sure. how bad the reporting is. So, and then so I you're, say, back- you're saying there's a trifecta then. So then they they make yes. up something about the Bush administration that's wrong. They then right. ignore the Obama administration's pronouncements to go against the narrative, the, de- the designations we've been talking about, including one <laughs> yes. I'm going to highlight again, right? And then highlight the they ignore the Obama administration stuff, and then they highlight the Iranian denial. Well, that's that's fantastic <laughs> reporting, guys. You know, that's genius. <laughs> that's genius reporting. You know, good. good it was beautiful, Tom. I mean, yeah. if you're the Iranian regime, it was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Sweet fancy yeah. Moses. Uh, anyway, <laughs> all right, that's what we're dealing with here. Uh, so, I mean, one of those designations, of course, that we're talking about here in July 2011, that was the first one by the, the Treasury Department, um, highlighted the role of a guy known as Yasin al-Suri, who was the head of al-Qaeda's facilitation network in Iran. Now, again, the, the Obama administration, the Treasury Department, the State Department made it clear that Yasin al-Suri was working under an agreement between the Iranian regime and al-Qaeda. You know, we found his personnel file, which has been ignored by some, in Bin Laden's cache. So the files are recovered in Bin Laden's compound in May 2011. We found the personnel file for Surrey and I think 19 others. 
uh, in one one file. You've written about it. I've got something on deck again about this, uh, which identifies them as being in Iran. And then the U.S. government, you know, sort of using the mosaic of intelligence, puts together that he's actually there under an agreement between the Iranian regime and Al Qaeda. Again, not a clandestine network, not something that the that the Iranians don't know about, but in fact something that the Iranians have explicitly. Uh, uh, agreed to. In fact, the designations make clear that this was all negotiated by Atiyah Abdelrahman. And Atiyah Abdelrahman was the, and he was killed in mid-2011, I think August 2011. Tom, think about that. 2011, this agreement is still in place. This is 2021. We're or, or a new version of it, I would say. We're going to get to that. Well, yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, 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 right, but, right, but right. this is, you know, right. we're not talking about a, a, a an agreement of convenience or in the day, maybe for a year. We're talking about something that is at least a decade old, whether it's, I'm sure it's changed over time, but it certainly appears to have changed to Al-Qaeda's benefit. So, yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt there, but that's what strikes me about this. This isn't something, you know, that's constantly, well, you know, I had a talk with a reporter, Tom, and they're like, yeah, it's it's not really, I was like, listen, you could call this a strategic agreement, you could call it an alliance, whatever you call it, it exists, and it's it's something that it's in place, and it's been placed over time, and it's something that has worked to the benefit of al-Qaeda. And clearly, let's face it, the Iranians aren't doing this just because they, because they want al-Qaeda to benefit. They're benefiting from this as well. Yeah, they have a game that they're playing in all this, which I think people are not hip to, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't, I stick to the, I don't usually use the word alliance because they're, I mean, Pompeo said that they're not enemies truth is they are enemies in some ways or have been, you know, I mean, it, it's duplicity, you know, and all this stuff. But yeah, I mean, the point is that this is, this is, it's not just 2011, it goes all the way back to 1990s. These two, these two have had agreements multiple times, right? Uh, or throughout, throughout much of that whole time, they've had, they've able to come to a working arrangement. Let's put it that way, right? Uh, you know, a working arrangement. Okay. You know, I mean, that goes against the sort of the narrative on all this, but you know, the thing about Yassin al I was just bringing it up, um, the State Department confirmed that he's still in Iran. Right. So, the, the, you know, this guy's still there as a, as a facilitator. Our sources indicate that he's probably actually at the top of Al Qaeda's facilitation network globally. It's not just that he's the head of the facilitation network. It's not network just Iran. Iran. It's, it's a major hub, Tom. Right. And, right. And yeah. The, and he's, uh, he's trans, transition hub that he's in charge of. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, the, the, again, the Obama administration designated him in July 2011. That agreement that he's operated under back then um, was negotiated by Abtiel Abdel Rahman, who was the. Uh, sort of the right-hand man, uh, the paper guy, the general manager for uh, bin Laden. He, he compiled these sort of man, what we call management papers for bin Laden regularly, you know, these elaborate memos dealing with events around the world. Um, and so, you know, he was he was a major figure. And and Rahman, uh, T. Abdel Rahman, who again was killed in August 2011, he was identified by um, the Treasury Department back then as the uh, primary liaison at one point to Iran. So bin Laden named him as, the, and that allowed Atiyah Abdelrahman to travel in, in and out of Iran. Well, isn't that interesting? Because a lot of the files recovered in bin Laden's compound are written by Atiyah Abdelrahman, and some of them sort of imply that he's there, that he's in Iran when he's writing some of them, you know? And uh, we'll, I've got more coming on that in the future. Um, but the point is that, again, you're, you're seeing a whole sort of constellation of facts around this issue that... It's just, you know, again, back to the cognitive biases, the ideological biases, the sort of the narrative people run with, um, you know, they, they just ignore all this because it doesn't fit what they're saying. But let's get back to Pompeo's speech here real quick. Again, you know, he, he says that there was a sea change in the relationship in 2015, and then Iran allowed al-Qaeda to, op to open a new operational headquarters inside Iran. This is what he's saying. 
Now, a couple things about this. I mean, first of all, his own speech makes clear that this is a longstanding relationship dating back to the early 1990s. So, sea change in what respect? Uh, you know, he says a new operational headquarters. Well, as I just outlined with the designations by the Obama administration, going back to 2011, they call it the core pipeline for Al-Qaeda was in Iran back in 2011. So, um, you know, I don't know what it means to be a new operational headquarters when, as far as we're concerned, they've had a facilitation network at a minimum there for, for many years now under this agreement between the Iranian regime and Al-Qaeda. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about, you know, the, the secret deal that the Obama administration exposed all the way back in July 2011. I mean, you know, some of this stuff has been long in the record. Now, what he's probably talking about, what Pompeo is probably talking about, is the senior Al-Qaeda leaders freed in 2015. And that was as a result, and this is where sometimes, you know, the relationship between these two sides is is a little testy or a lot testy, right? I mean, the, the Al-Qaeda kidnapped an Iranian diplomat and forced, you know, basically five senior Al-Qaeda guys to be freed, including Abu Muhammad al-Masri, who was killed in August of last year, and Saif Al-Ado, who's still there, and then three others who made their way to Syria, and they were all killed. Um, so that's probably what he's talking about in part as those guys, but he's also talking about Maghrebi relocating. We talked about Abdul Rahman al-Maghrebi relocating to Iran. That probably, I'm guessing, I'm inferring that happened sometime from 2015 onward, you know, so that's significant and important. But, you know, sea change? Eh, you know, I don't know. I, I, I that, that wording sort of, you know, I, I, in what sense? I mean, again, there's, there's just such a whole history here of this stuff. Yeah, and it, Tom. So look, I think his, um, you know, when he says operational headquarters, when you again, when you have the, you know, two top deputies, uh, Abu Muhammad al Masri and and Saif al Adel, and you have Maghrebi there. Yes, you know, Suri. You know, Suri. I I can understand. I don't think that that's. Um, yeah, I don't think it's. You know, we could call it what we will. I mean, you know. I don't think it's, you know, unreasonable. I think his mistake was he should have highlighted, you know, an, an evolving relationship. He should yeah, have called, you right. know, explained how senior leaders are operating from there, you know, like things of that nature. But he made this sound like it's like this is the core. This is Al-Qaeda's base and, you know, what people would always refer to. This is Al-Qaeda's core leadership operation. Well, it's yes and no. He, he You know, he, again, the downplaying of Afghanistan hurts his case. Not that any reporter ever picked up on that, by the way, because they've all bought the narrative actually i'll give the times some credit on that the times did get did pick up a little bit on the tension there and it's piece on it i think uh you know yeah I, but in, yeah. in a way which i'm sure you're going to get to which is completely yeah. contradictory of its yeah its i mean look, this right? is all a mess right i mean part part i mean let me just say this about afghanistan too one of the guys who's identifying these new designations when you look at his identifying information they didn't tell you who he was by the way at all nothing i mean we know who McGregor yeah is. that was pretty frustrating one of these other guys are they didn't tell tell us who the hell he is um, we have some ideas. We're working on reporting on that, but there's no detail on it. The Treasury Department had its identifying information form. And part of what the identifying information, it locates them, the identifying information. You know how this works. It says Iran. But where else does it say? Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Yeah. yeah whoopsie. And, you know, and, I mean, what is that? You know, what is what is he doing? Oh, well, and what were what are all these guys doing? So what's the military committee leadership in Iran doing? What what are they doing? What is McGrebby doing? What are all these guys doing? You don't think that they're involved in directing operations in Afghanistan, helping Al Qaeda help the Taliban in Afghanistan? So this is where this is where this is Pompeo's own version of disconnect the dots, right? Yeah. We always we always lament when people disconnect the dots. That's part of my whole thing. Well, this is disconnecting the dots. We're going to connect these dots over here because they're politically convenient. And we agree with them, right? But we're going to disconnect them over here, right? Even though they're all part of the same picture, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So. Tom's referring to, to Sultan Yusuf Hassan al-Arif. Uh, right. He's also known as Qatar al-Najdi or Abu Musab al-Saudi. So obviously he's a Saudi. Right. Um, you know, our indication, we're with you know, obviously if you could look at the designation of the four, he's the one who's supposed to be in Iran and Afghanistan. 
without going into too much detail, we're aware that he's a key Al Qaeda leader inside of Afghanistan. So, and, and Iran. And Iran. And inside Iran. But I mean, a key leader for Al Qaeda's operate for network inside of Afghanistan. So yeah. he probably is a. He may have a very AQIS interesting dossier, leader. by the way, which makes, yeah. it, makes it very interesting that they didn't release anything on him, right? Which is well, and, and this was also part of the frustration that Tom yeah. and I share. Hey, there's intelligence. There's information on these guys. There's a lot of the intelligence on that secret deal should have been disclosed. It's the decade. Release old. it. Yeah. What's it? Release it. What does it harm? It's yeah. over a decade old. Actually, yeah. it's a decade since it's been disclosed. Obviously, when you look at the reporting, it's at least 2008, 2009, right, Tom? Where there were the indications that this deal was out it, there. It, actually, the Asino Surrey thing said he was operating since 2005 under an agreement with right. the Iranian regime. Right. So and yeah. Then, so. Yeah. And then we right. know we we have his Bin Laden personnel file, which was from probably a couple of years after that or around that time, you know, circle there. I mean, it's just, I love that file. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to write that up again just to, you know, basically tell everybody to stuff it. You know, here's one of the things, in the, here's one of the things in the Bin Laden files you guys ignored uh, and how it, how it fits, you know. But, uh, but the point is, is that, you know, when you look at all this stuff, it's just, again, there's a constellation of facts here that people go out of their way to sort of deny or ignore, you know. Um, it doesn't mean this isn't complex. It doesn't mean that there aren't problems, you know, that Iran and Al-Qaeda don't fight each other at times. Of course they do. I mean, you know, we've highlighted that in Syria and Yemen in particular. And then the, the Al-Qaeda operations to kidnap, you know, uh, Iranian personnel to force exchanges. Sometimes you could see in the Bin Laden files, that, you know, people are complaining to Bin Laden about their captivity in Iran at times because Iran doesn't allow them to operate freely all the time. Sometimes they're in detention. I mean, get into all that. Fine. You know, this, this, yeah. this is a complex, a complex relationship. relationship. Right. But, but don't deny, you know, the, the part that sort of doesn't fit your narrative or your, or your, your sort of biases, you know, which is this, this constellation of facts that go against the idea that they're only enemies because they're not just only enemies. They're also frenemies or, you know, occasional partners, you know, I mean, yeah. you know. And, and if I may use a popular reference, uh, uh, analogy, I, I think of it sort of like man in the high castle, right? The, the Nazis and the Japanese are going against the, the allies, right? And they're, you know, so they're, it's an alliance of convenience, which the two practically, you know, don't really share anything other than an enmity. As soon as they win in that show, they're at each other's throats. That would be the situation if the U.S. and if the West was defeated. But they cooperate. I realize it's not a perfect analogy, Tom, and you're probably rolling your eyes a little bit me at that. But I'm like, not rolling your eyes at all. I'm just way. thinking back. I get. I mean, I got in that show because of you. I watched like the first like season or two, which were good. And then I don't know. I remember how seasons are. But then at some point, I was just like, "What am I watching here? Like this just gets bizarre." And then I I skipped ahead to the finale, and I was like, "Ugh." So you know, so, <laughs> so, so, it was overall good. I mean, but yeah, the, we'll I mean, do a I, show on that someday. We'll yeah, no, I, I like shows. you know. I mean, I liked yeah. it. I mean, you know, I I think I don't think your analogy's that far off at all. I think it's, right. I mean, you're, like, you're, there, it's it's an alliance of convenience. That's how I. You know, if, if the end of the day, if you stripped out, you know, their key enemies, they probably would be at each other's throat, as we see in places like Syria or places like in Iraq. Uh, um, you know, at the, at least at the at the ground level, but at the at the strategic level, they recognize they need each other in order to get what they want out of the region. So, sorry for the bad analogy. No, again, I don't think it's a bad analogy. I just uh, the only thing I was rolling my eyes at was the end of Man in High Castle. Oh which is, yeah, don't which is, I mean, listen, I think we could probably do a whole show on pop culture because, you know, like I'm I'm craving fiction now at this point because you know, look, yeah. I mean, we deal with all this grim nonfiction stuff and some some good fiction would be right up my alley and i so many of these series and movies they just go off the freaking rail you know i don't yeah. know what you know we get 
You know, I, you know, I'd like heard, to mention the good ones too, though. There's you've, a really you've heard good me ones complain many today. times about Luke Skywalker being turned into a coward Ugh. alien milk drinker. Ugh, or something. So I, I don't know, I don't know what that was. Uh, anyway, so this was all a digression. <laughs> Back to uh, Iran and Al Qaeda. Uh, you know, so um, the, let's let's finish up with I guess the press's reaction Excellent. to this. Yeah, and let's the, go right there. The, the press, um, you know, you got something on the Reuters piece again, and maybe I had a few more details on that. But I, I, no, I think uh, we hit that, Tom. That's right. good. Let's go into the New York. So Times So I saw the New York reporting. Times reporting on this, and it was sort of like, look, I think we could have scripted the New York Times report for them beforehand, right? As yeah. soon as we caught when this thing was coming, it was Pompeo claims X. Next paragraph. Um, you know, cite anonymous officials saying no, 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 or downplay it, or it's more complex than what Pompeo saying, which is true as we've outlined, but don't give true a true credit or due to the facts that go against the idea that they're only enemies, right? Don't don't really delve into it. I mean, McGrebby, who was the big guy who was profiled in all this by the State Department, I think he just gets a passing mention in the Times thing. Yeah. And the rewards for information page, justice page on this, you know, look into who he is. This is a this is a big deal guy that he's in Iran. That's important. That's all kind of figures. But I skip ahead and you go through the Times piece and, you know, it, they have a quote here. So they say, basically, the intelligence officials poo-poo this. There's no intelligence sort of to back up what Pompeo's saying or it's, you know, whatever. And then you get down in there and there's a, there's a paragraph that says, at some point before Mr. Al-Masri's death, meaning Abu Muhammad al-Masri, again, deputy mayor of al-Qaeda, was killed last August, the CIA concluded that he and another senior al-Qaeda leader in Iran, Saif al-Adil, reorganized al-Qaeda's global management structure and placed a renewed priority on plotting attacks, according to a senior State Department official who briefed reporters after Mr. Pompeo's speech. The official would not give a date or approximate time frame for the CIA assessment, only that, saying only that it happened after 2015 and it was sent to the State Department in the past week. Well... Uh, first of all, they reorganized Al-Qaeda's global management structure uh, from where again? Oh, inside Iran. So this actually does lend credence to the idea that there's operational headquarters inside Iran of some Absolutely. sort. Absolutely. Right? This is why I refuse to dismiss the term outright. Yeah, I, mean, I don't dismiss can, it either. We but can I'm debate saying, it, yeah. but yeah, you know, there's there's yeah. credence to it, as you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the CIA saying this. Now, that's what I would say about all this. And when I, you know, look, Again, my my reporting and my analysis always tries to hew closely to what the the actual what we can firmly we know is coming from the, the most firm channels. I mean, there's some ambiguity about all this type of stuff. Um, but you know, isn't it curious the CIA didn't actually weigh in on this officially, right? Why not put out a statement saying here's what we here's what our actual assessment is? If Pompeo really is um, speaking out of turn with the intelligence, as some people are claiming. Then shouldn't CIA and Gina Haspel, the director of CIA, shouldn't they say so? Right? Shouldn't the ODNI? Right? What is the official assessment of all this? And this gets to my my sort of closing point on all this. You know, we talked about congressional oversight for the AUMF. There needs to be congressional oversight of all this stuff, right? There needs to be hearings. There needs to be a free play on all this so that there's a constant sort of discourse and debate on all this. And oversight in Congress needs to be both from right when it's under control of the Republicans. And whether it's under control of Democrats. And these types of issues should be constantly explored, you know, um, and questioned, you know. And I, I would like to know what the action, you know. So you get these anonymous rumblings against Pompeo and all this, right? And again, we, we, we quibble with some of his wording and we disagree with some of his wording for sure, right? But what is the actual official intelligence assessment? Now, we have intelligence sources, right? And I got to tell you, uh, you know, these are honest people who are not. You know, they don't have a partisan agenda. And a lot of them said, no, you know, most of what Pompeo is saying is basically what we're seeing, right? Well, you know, why don't we get, uh, this is, I just want to close my thought thinking on this to say, 
over and over again, when you listen to this podcast, I say the U.S. government needs to come up with a fresh assessment of Al Qaeda. What does it look like? You know, what are the man? You know, regardless of the fact that we're draw- the U.S. is trying to draw down from everywhere and doesn't want to fight this anymore with the military, fine. Take it out of the military sort of worldview altogether, or the world military purview altogether, if you want. Make it a law enforcement intelligence issue. You and I know, Bill, there's going to be problems with that, but you know, but have at it if that's your argument, right? Um, doesn't cha- shouldn't change the facts about what's going on. Give us an actual assessment of how this thing works, right? I mean, because you know, part of when this this speech was given by Payo, and I don't I don't like to be too critical, um, you know, on the podcast of other people, but I saw people commenting on this that know absolutely zippo about Al Qaeda senior leadership and how it works. You know, now I'm telling you, there's a lot of gray area and there's a lot we don't know. There's a lot I don't know as a nerd who studies this stuff all the time. But I see people who I know don't know anything, you know, popping off and saying, oh, you know, there's nothing to Al-Qaeda senior leadership anyway. Really? How do you know that? Right? I mean, there's always plenty of facts, even in evidence here in the last few days to tell you that that's not true. There's more to it than nothing by a lot. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I think that's my that's where I get on my soapbox and say, look, whatever the U.S. decides to do on all this, um, you know, we need to have clear definitions of what these groups look like, what Al-Qaeda looks like, how it operates, and that's that. What do you think, Bill? No, Tom, I, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's our frustration on, you know, this really should be managed in ways by Congress and it, it, with its oversight, it, not just of military issues, but intelligence issues, and, and this is where it should all be sorted out, and unfortunately, both you and I have testified in front of Congress, and what I find is mostly, I find there's some congressmen who are truly interested in on, on both sides of the aisle by the way on yeah. both sides but a yeah. lot of it is political posturing and yeah. getting yeah. agenda items across and and you know we just we just things we wish things work better we wish our government worked the way it should and issues like this would be far clearer i mean you know in that you have you know the the, the contradictions in that new york times report of dismissing and going to to unnamed intelligence officials when you have an individual, whatever you think of, of, of Mike Pompeo, he served, he's the head of the, he's the Secretary of State, he previously was the head of the CIA, he's receiving intelligence, he knows this information, and he's putting it out there. He's not hiding behind anonymity, and yet in, in stories like New York Times and Reuters and other places, the anonymous stuff gets all the credence and his stuff is dumped, and then the lack of the oversight, the lack of, of real honest and 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 fact-based look at what's happening what al-qaeda's structure is how they're operating as you note that's all we can't get that because nobody really wants to do that work and then therefore we're in this situation that we are and it makes your and my job all the more frustrating yeah no i agree with all that i mean i and you know again it doesn't mean you can't criticize pompeo's speech or whatever or debate his policy ramifications or what he's trying to do whatever i don't care debate all that you know but you know, it's just sort of this game. That's what I mean by we could script the press reporting on this. And this is why this is frustrating. And, I'm, and this is the part that I'm sick of this, right? It's the same thing over and over again. It, it seems to me like I, th- I think now that a lot of the press basically is playing this game. Well, we don't want another Iraq war like 2003. So let's just pour as much water on this as possible without thinking about what the possible ramifications of running interference with the Iranian regime are, you know? Uh, you know, and um, if you listen to this podcast, this episode, you can hear we're not clamoring for war over this issue. Uh, far be it. But that does shouldn't change the facts. You should you should actually be paying attention to the facts and report the facts. And I think I just think it's funny. I saw one Times journalist basically saying no intelligence officials agree with what Pompeo was saying. Um, or, or you know, there's no intelligence to back this up. And sources say or so, something like that. Something totally dismissive. Really, not those designations. Um, not the New York Times own reporting. 
Abu Muhammad Al Masri. Abu Muhammad Al Masri is killed in, in, in Iran. And who first reported that in, in a press outlet at the Times? I mean, come on. You know, I mean, this is this is this is the thing that I sort of I'm trying to figure out how to speak about because at some point it just gets to be so stupid that I don't even know how I can say that it's anything but right. I mean, I maybe maybe we'll edit this part out, but I you know I get frustrated now, Bill. I just the stupidity of all this is really you know it yeah, just yeah. seems like we're living more and more like an idiocracy. You know, I mean, I I, I don't think you should edit that out, Tom. And if yeah. our readers understand our frustration, is because half of what we do anymore is dealing with reacting to this level of stupidity where it's a, we fight a losing battle here in just trying to get the facts straight. Um, and, and that's, and we're not and perfect even if, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. We're not perfect, but it just, it, the thing is that they're just, it's just amazing to watch how this, this unfolds. I mean, there's, there's stuff, you know, the thing I would say is there's so much stuff comes out every day that you can just know you're like, wait a minute, that's wrong for the following 50 reasons, you know? And like I could spend all my time just rebutting stuff, you know. Yeah. What what's the point of that, you know? So uh, yeah, yeah and, we don't actually move the needle forward on no. any of this stuff because we're constantly no, we we to... do we do, but it's just it's just it's frustrating to see how much yeah. how many people are unmoved by facts, you know. That's all I would say. And by the way, I, you know, I, I look at that not take it out of this context. I think that's true of everything now. You know, that's is, that's my Tom. frustration. That's my frustration is. is that everything all the topics we read this is the frustration with the media and our politicians and everybody everybody is in spinning constantly and just you know they have their agendas their ideology their biases and i don't know no, i'm just sick of it like i just you know you can have an honest debate about what's going on in the world and what we want to do about it um and but you know don't don't play all these games you know yeah tom it's it's a refusal and i'll, I'll be really brief on this it's a, a refusal to 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 debate facts to debate policy Everyone wants to scream at each other. There's uh, the lack of civility is is um, is frightening to me, um, and this all of this weighs on us. And you know, I'm gonna you know bring it back to the beginning of our conversation. We share a lot of your concerns. Yes, we we deal in our issues, our areas of expertise, but these issues that are happening beyond our areas, they weigh on Tom and I just as much as they weigh on you. And we can hope 2021 will be better than 2020, but, uh, yeah, you know, yeah, but uh, yeah. very pessimistic the way the way that our civil society seems to be breaking down. And that was an especially cheer, you know, for episode 40 <laughs> of Generation. Always the cheer, Tom. Yeah. Always the cheer. Yeah, again, again, if you're dealing with any kind of psychological sort of depression or whatever, I feel for you. Cheer I know, us I know, out. I know people that have those issues, and it's very serious. You should take. You should not blame yourself. It's a very serious medical thing. And take care of yourself. You know, I love you. Take care of yourself. Go out there and get help. But for the love of God, don't listen to us. Because nothing, nothing we're saying is going to cheer you up, right? So, yeah, all right, we'll leave it there. So thank you, audience, again, to listening to this week's episode of Generation Jihad. Please do subscribe to the show. As a reminder, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And we will see you, hopefully, if the world doesn't blow up, next week.